0: I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22, we are wrapping up our study on lessons on reaching. These lessons will be teaching to every new person who becomes a part of Coastal Oaks Church as we try to put it all together, gifts, temperament, and passion. Acts chapter 22. It was in 1517 that a doctor of theology, an Augustinian monk by the name of Martin Luther, came to the point of Uh, of a crisis in his life and he went to the Wittenberg church door and nailed his 95 theses to that door that launched the Protestant Reformation. We're going to look at a passage of scripture today where another doctor of theology, another person steeped in religion came to a face to face encounter with Jesus Christ and because of that said I need to make a statement about the truth. Well, We have the Apostle Paul here giving a defense of the faith and his background before a Jewish mob in the temple complex. So we're gonna read the narrative as as the Bible explains exactly what Paul shared with that group of Jewish people who were struggling with uh, his teaching. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense before you. When they had heard he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even quieter. And he continued, I am a Jewish man, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel and educated according to the strict view of our patriarchal law. Being zealous for God, just as all of you are today, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women in jail. Now the way was a description of the Christian church at that time. They, they weren't known as a Christian church. Most people understood believers as a, a sect within Judaism because the church was Jewish initially. So Paul, as a, a zealous follower of the law and the pharisaical tradition, he saw the way as something that was threatening what he understood was the truth, which was Judaism. So he says, I had this zeal to persecute the way because they were pushing the boundaries to what I believed. The Bible says in verse five, as both the high priests and the whole council of elders can testify about me. After I had received letters from them, To the brothers, I traveled to Damascus to bring those who were prisoners there to be punished in Jerusalem. Paul sets the stage and he says, I was very Jewish. I was defending the faith. And that way, that group of people that were now following Jesus were threatening his way of thinking. And he says, I went to persecute them. As I was traveling, this is his conversion experience. As I was traveling near Damascus about noon, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now Saul thought he was persecuting this group of people that were threatening Judaism, and Jesus says, Saul, you're persecuting me. And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. So Jesus identifies himself as a prophet from Nazareth that that was preaching and teaching those, but now those who were, were with me saw the light, but they did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Then I said, what should I do, Lord? Now, I, I believe that that's Paul's, Paul's decision, Paul's statement that he understands the voice speaking to him is the Lord Jesus, and he understands the lordship of Christ. And when he says, Lord, what should I do? He's surrendering his life. He's not just saying, give me a little bit of, you know, where do I go next? He's saying, Lord, what should I do? And the Lord told me, get up. And go into Damascus, and there you will be told about everything that is assigned for you to do. And since I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came to Damascus. And someone named Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good reputation with all the Jews residing there, came and stood by me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour I looked up and saw him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will to see the righteous one, and to hear the sound of his voice, referring to Jesus there. For you will be a witness for him to all people of whom you have seen and heard. And now, why delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins by calling on his name. In other words, you'll be baptized as a testimony that your sins have been washed clean by Jesus. After I came back to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple complex, and I went into a visionary state, and I saw him telling me, hurry, get up out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. But I said, Lord, they know in the synagogue after synagogue that I, had, that, that I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. And the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, and I was standing by approving, and I guarded the clothes of those who killed him. And then he said to me, go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. In other words, God, Jesus says to Paul, I am making you the one sent out the apostles sent out to the Gentiles. That's the end of the narrative we're gonna look at today. But the next couple of verses there, it says that when they heard him say that word, I'm going to the Gentiles, that's when the mob became uncontrollable and wanted to take Paul into custody. Actually, wanted to do away with him. They were so angry that he said, I'm coming to take this, this message I have to the Gentiles. So what I want to do is take Paul's testimony. And he, he, he alludes to this event several places in the book of Acts. We're going to look at a passage in Philippians and Galatians that also give us insight into Paul's testimony. And look how God took Paul's temperament and his, his passion, his zeal, and also took his ministry gifts and used them for the cause of Christ. He shares his credentials with them. He shares his conversion experience, and he shares his calling here. So let's look at these five truths and make application for us today. Number one, we have a God-given temperament. You and I have a God-given temperament. We looked at that last week. We looked at how most people can be grouped into one of those four categories, the, the beaver, the lion, the otter, or the golden retriever. Remember those? The beaver, the industrious, uh, do it the right way. The lion, do it my way right now. The otter, let's do it the fun way. And the golden retriever, let's do it the easy way. Those are kind of, you fall into one of those four temperaments and a lot of us are, are blends of those four. I, t- I think I said last week, I'm a beaver retriever. That's, that's my blend. The apostle Paul, Saul as he shares in, in parts of his testimony, we identified him as a lion because he was take charge, he was motivated, he was strong-willed, dynamic, a crusader, controversial, zealous, self-sufficient. And, and that's his temperament, that's who he was. And so it's evident in this passage as we read the narrative, that's, what Paul, that's who Paul was. He was living that out because of, that's how God had wired him, persecuting Christians, being zealous. You have a God-given temperament. Embrace it. We said last week, it's a gift from God. God wants to take the negative parts of that temperament and redeem them, the the negative parts of, of that personality, those personality traits you have. He wants to develop the fruit of the spirit, but you've been given this temperament like Paul had. So We talked about that a lot last week. So let's look at number two. We are shaped by our life experiences. We are shaped by our life experiences. I think you'd agree with me. Hold that place in Acts 22. And look over to the book of Philippians, a letter written by Paul to the church at Philippi as he shares a little bit more about his story. <clears throat> Philippians chapter three. Just gonna start in verse four there. Paul's giving uh, a defense to his, his, uh, his teaching. He's dealing with some, some people who needed to hear that. Listen to what he says. He says, although I once had confidence in the flesh, and he says you're not to do that, he gives this example. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. In other words, if anybody thinks they can boast about everything they have going for them, their life experience, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Paul shares a little bit more about his life experience there, that he was born as a a Hebrew of Hebrews, that he was born in the tribe of Benjamin, that he'd been trained as a Pharisee, that he'd been blameless in the law. He looks at his life experiences and says, those have influenced me, those have impacted me. Look at your life experiences. Think about them. For Paul, a lot of them were, were positive, but they ended up being negative. What about your life experiences? One of the things we do when we go through the lessons on reaching, and many of us have done this in some other classes here, is we ask people to, to take a, a sheet of graph paper and to list a timeline, maybe from before you got in high school, high school, after high school and your adult life, and say list the highs and lows of your life. Just kind of plot them on the graph as they came, and childhood you put a dot there, and, and this happened and that happened. Everyone's graph looks very similar. There are highs, because we have great experiences like when we won that uh, peewee uh, football game, and there are lows like when a grandparent died, and there are highs like when we made straight A's, and there are lows when we didn't, you know, those kind of things. But you look at a person's life graph, and, and that's what they usually look like. Sometimes they look like this, sometimes they look like that, but everybody has highs and lows. And then we ask you to look at those, and, and as, you, as you reflect on them, see are there any themes in your life that have, that have come out of that. And how did you react to the lows and how did you react to the highs? How has God used those to, to shape you the way you are today, your life experiences? We're shaped by them. One of my favorite authors said this, there is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. That's Corey Ten Boom. Her family helped Jews get out of Nazi persecution and, uh, by estimates in the thousands of people that they helped rescue. And then her family was arrested and taken to concentration camps, and her father and brother died, and one and her sister died, I believe, there in Ravensbrück where she was placed. And she spent years there in that Ravensbrück um, concentration camp, and she saw horrors, and she saw things people should never see, she said. But then she made this statement after it was all over that she shared throughout her life. There is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. Now, I can read those in a devotional. I can say them. I can recite them. I can put them in a book. But I tell you what, when you hear someone who lived it, like Corey ten Boone did, say, there is no pit deeper that God's love is not deeper still. I cannot imagine the horrors of a Nazi concentration camp. I know it from pictures and documentaries. Terrible horror But she says, as bad as that was, God's love was even better. Her life experiences shaped her. Her testimony from the time she got out until the time she went to be with Jesus was that. There is nothing you're going to go through that God's love cannot get you through. And her message was also a message of forgiveness. She taught a lot about forgiveness because through her adult life, she encountered people who had persecuted her family she encountered the, the soldiers, the officers who were in the Nazi concentration camp who later came to her as an adult later in, in her years, and she forgave them. She was shaped by her life experiences. Her entire life ministry focused on the fact that she had experienced God's grace at the depths. How about your life experiences? Some of you would like to probably write some of them off. I've done that life map with some people before and some could not write down some experiences they've had because they were so terrible So i just can't go back and reflect on that i want you to step back and embrace the fact that it may not have been good it may have been tragic it may have been the pit but god wants to use it for his glory god wants to shape use that to shape you to be used for his glory i have been a god-given temperament i've been shaped by my life experience number three We have been transformed by an encounter with Jesus Christ. We've been transformed by an encounter with Jesus Christ. Paul's transformation back in Acts chapter 22, he speaks of being on the Damascus road and see this this bright light, and he falls down and he hears this voice, Saul, Saul, verse 7, why are you persecuting me? And he says, Lord, who are you and what should I do? That's That's his dramatic transformation. From Saul, the persecutor, to the apostle Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles. We've been transformed by that encounter with Christ. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you by faith have said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and need a Savior, and by faith if you've given him control of your life and invited him to, have to come live in, in you and take up residence in you, you should have been transformed by his grace at that moment. So when I say we have been transformed, I'm speaking to Christ followers, people who have made that commitment. And when I say transformed by an encounter, I'm not saying you've had this emotional experience. You know, Some people say, well, I know I'm going to heaven because I, I had warm fuzzies one day or because I saw a sunrise one day and I just felt tingly and I knew God was there. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but that's not anything to base your salvation on. Some people say, well, I know I'm going to heaven because I, I had a feeling one day. And my, my comment is, I know that I'm going to heaven because the Word of God says in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's my assurance. The Bible that I have when I was a brand new Christian, Romans 10, 9 through 13, is worn out because I ran my finger over that passage so many times, reminding myself that I was saved because of what God said in His Word, not because of how I felt. One of the worst questions you can ask a person when they pray to receive Christ is, how do you feel? Because then they're saying, well, if I don't feel anything, maybe I'm not saved. You may not have felt anything, but did you do what God said in his word? That's what we ask. That encounter is not warm fuzzies. It's not an emotional experience. It's not an ecstatic experience. It's not a vision you had. It's not a dream you had. It's not a sunrise you saw or a sunset you embraced. It's the fact that you've come to God on his terms by faith, by grace through faith, and you've trusted him. God met Paul and transformed his life. Saul on the road to Damascus. I love reading Chuck Colson's stuff that he writes. I don't know if you know Chuck Colson. For the last few decades, he has been one of the most outspoken prophets for Christianity. Uh, Looking at our culture, defining our culture, challenging people, apologizing for the Christian faith. And that doesn't mean saying we're sorry for it. It means defending it. He's been an apologist. Chuck Colson, an incredible ministry You track back to his life, and if you know the story, he was one of Nixon's uh, hatchet men, one of those seven Watergate who were were indicted. And and he went to prison, and, and Coulson's life was transformed by an encounter with Jesus Christ. And he lived the rest of his life in ministry because God had transformed him. I love his testimony. He says, it's interesting, with all his degrees and all his notoriety and all his power and all his prestige, the one thing that God has used in his life more than anything else is the fact that he was in prison. The biggest failure of his life became the thing that God has used mightily. Have you been transformed? Has God met you at that place where you would say, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior? See, because he's given us a temperament, he's using our life experiences, he's redeemed us if you've trusted him as Savior. And number four, he's equipped us. We have been equipped with God-given ministry gifts. We've been equipped with God-given ministry gifts. Now, I'm not going to go to 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12 and, or 1 Peter and read about the gifts because we've studied that before, but I want to go to Paul's testimony in, in Galatians chapter 1. Again, Paul is writing to, to correct some errors. The churches in the Galatia area were um, being influenced by Judaizers, by legalists who said, not only do you need to accept Jesus Christ, but you need circumcision, to be really a full citizen of the kingdom and Paul was, was dealing with that. So as he shares part of his testimony again, he says in verse 11, Galatians one, now I want you to know brothers that the gospel preached by me is not based on human thought. For I did not receive it from human source and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation from Jesus Christ. Skip down with me to verse 15. When God who from my birth set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I should preach him among the Gentiles. I did, did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. And then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, and I stayed with him 15 days. Now, the chronology of Paul's life is debatable, how you put it all together, uh, conservative Bible scholars disagree on the order of events and how it transpired. But I like what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, we may not agree with the chronology, but we can agree on the theology. We can agree with the fact that Paul was saved, that he did spend time with the Lord, that he did grow, and that he was used as the apostle of the Gentiles. Some have said that three years there that's mentioned in verse 18 when Paul is, is there in, in, uh that possibly that three years was away in Arabia where he was in solitude and spent time with the Lord. Some have said maybe he just had that one-on-one time with Jesus where Jesus instructed him in a unique way. John Stott says it's possible that what God was saying was, was Paul, you weren't with Jesus for those three years like the rest of the disciples were, but I'm going to give you three years one-on-one with him. I don't know. I do know that during that time he grew, he studied, he was nurtured, he spent time with the Lord, and God equipped him. I love that. God called me, set me apart and called me by his grace in verse 15. And he was pleased to reveal his son in me. He was equipped for the, the ministry that God had called him to. We say that ministry gifts are given to every believer, and they're not adornments, they're tools. They're not trophies to be set on a shelf to be worshiped and to say attaboy about but they're tools to be used in ministry. We, we give the analogy, if somebody buys a cordless screwdriver for you for Christmas and you look at it, you may open the box and seal the box back up, read the instructions, and just set it there on the counter and you never use it. Somebody says, what would you get for Christmas? Man, I need to show you this cordless screwdriver, God, it's the coolest thing. I've read the instruction manual and I know how it's used, I know how many amps it has, I know how long it takes to charge it, I know how many whatever the torque is on the thing, I know how many speeds it has, and you just brag about this cordless drill and everything you know about it because you've read the instruction book, but you never take it out of the box and plug it in and use it. It's a waste. There are a lot of Christians who say, I've, I've got the instruction manual. I've, I know God's gifted me. I know he's equipped me. I know he's enabled me, but uh, I, just, I just haven't done anything about it. Ministry gifts were made to be used. We've talked about gifts, the gift of teaching and proclaiming prophecy prophecy. The gift of administration, the gift of service, the gift of counseling, the gift of intercession, all those gifts that we put out in that gift survey recently. God's given you a ministry gift, maybe several. Are you using them? My wife got a pink toolbox for Christmas. I didn't give it to her. One of her friends did. A pink toolbox. Um, Why pink? Because she loves pink. She's a lady. First thing she did was she started getting all of her tools out of her other toolbox and putting them in her pink toolbox and wrapping pink tape around them. So now her pink toolbox contains pink tools. But if you know anything about my wife, they don't stay in the toolbox. She's always using them constantly for something around the house. I am a handyman, so I do things around the house, but when I'm not there, she does all kinds of things, decorating and moving stuff and hammering in the wall and screwdrivers, all that. She uses those tools. Now, some of us Approach the Christian life like we were we've been given this pink toolbox, these ministry gifts, and or this toolbox, and we just we embrace and we think it's cool, but we never open it up, we never use it. The Christian life is more than just showing up and sitting here on Sunday morning. And if that's where you are, I'm glad you're there. But let me challenge you, you need to move beyond that. God has equipped you with ministry gifts. Number five, this puts it all together. We are called to serve. In ministry, that makes the most of our gifts, our temperament, and our passion. We've been given a God given temperament. God's wired us a certain way. We've been shaped by our life experiences. We've been given ministry gifts after we've been transformed by that encounter with Christ, and we are called to ministry. So, Pastor, I thought preachers were called to ministry. We are. But everybody's called to some ministry. It may not be a vocational leadership position like a a pastorate or a staff member on a church or a ministry leader where you're in it vocationally, but you're all called to do some ministry. One of the blessings about Coastal Oaks Church is we have people involved in ministry all over the place in, in volunteer areas. So many opportunities to serve using your gifts. I look at Paul as our example. God called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles because God knew he needed somebody with a pioneer spirit. He needed somebody who was confrontational. He needed somebody who was gifted in theology. He needed somebody who had had an encounter with Christ and had been transformed and received all that forgiveness that only Jesus could provide. And then he needed somebody that he could equip and gift in ministry in his teaching and preaching ministry as a prophet. We're called to serve in ministry. And if you're struggling in ministry with your gift and your temperament or your passion, find a place where it all fits together. When I was a pretty new believer, I was really eager to serve, and uh, I was in a single Sunday school class in Houston, and the class was growing, and we were reaching new people. It was an exciting time, and um, they said, we need a new class outreach leader, and I kind of asked, what's that about? That person's going to lead the class in evangelism. I said, man, sign me up. We're all excited, so they signed me up as a class outreach leader, and my responsibility was to go and knock on doors and present the gospel to people and to take people in our Sunday school class and do the same with them and train them and do all that, and I did that, and, and we were effective at that, but you know what? I, it wasn't me. I didn't fit that, that evangelism outreach leader persona that was needed for that group, and, and I struggled a little bit. But I was serving, but I realized that that's not my gift and temperament and passion. I'm not, a, I'm not an extrovert, and I'm not, I just, I'm not wired that way. And so I began to pray and seek the Lord, and, and found that my passion was fulfilled, and my giftedness and my desires when I went to the Word of God, and I studied and was able to teach the Bible. and So I taught Bible study classes, and, and as I taught them, God fulfilled me, and, and I found joy in that, and, and now... As I pursued the Lord, I can see that God not only took all that, but he took my life experiences and placed me in the pastorate. And that's where I've served most of my adult life. Because it all came together. And let me tell you, when your gifts and your temperament and your passion come together in the ministry, it is rewarding, it is fruitful, it is fulfilling. How are you doing? Have you struggled? I wonder if, as we come to this time of commitment, if When we extend the invitation, this would not just be a great opportunity for you just to come and get on your knees and say, Lord, I'm ready for it all to come together. I don't know what it means, but I'm available. Pretty simple prayer, isn't it? I'm not asking you to surrender your life to go overseas on a mission trip. I'm not asking you to to be a pastor, a missionary. I'm not asking you to teach a class. I'm not asking you to sign on the dotted line to be anything in this church. I'm just asking you, would you be willing to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm available. Use me. I'm ready to get off the shelf. I'm ready to open the toolbox. I'm ready to be a part of ministry in this place. Would you be willing to do that? I thank God that many of us have found our place in ministry, but many need to find that place. Just, Lord, I'm available. I wonder also how many would say, Pastor, as you've explained what it means to be transformed by the grace of God, I realize I've never had that encounter. I've never had that exchange that you described where by faith, you place your faith in Christ and you invite him to be Lord of your life. And I need to do that. I need to be saved. We'd love to help you with that decision in a minute. Let's pray together.